Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. So glad you're with us on the Tuesday edition of the Three Martini Lunch, brought to you today by Figs. Get that Christmas gift that your favorite doctor, nurse, or other medical professional would love to have, comfortable scrubs and other gear that they need every single day, and you can save money doing it. Go to wearfigs.com and enter the promo code martini at checkout. More on that in a little bit. Jim, we have good, bad, and crazy martinis today, so there's actually some good news to talk about. And the good news comes in the term of polling. Uh, This is from Firehouse Strategies, which is a Republican firm, and I think that's important to keep in mind here. So these numbers might be a little more optimistic than reality suggests, but nonetheless, they show that impeachment has not been kind to the Democrats, at least as it pertains to Trump versus the top tier, as it seems to be right now, in three key battleground states, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. Now, according to Firehouse Strategies, back in March, Joe Biden led President Trump by 12 in Wisconsin, 7 in Pennsylvania, and just barely a fraction of a point in Michigan. Uh, In September, he was still ahead in all three states, but uh, between two and four points, let's say. And now it's Trump by nine in Wisconsin, five in Michigan, and four in Pennsylvania. And it's not just Biden. You might be thinking, oh, corn pop, letting kids comb my leg hair, stacking spaghetti jars, whatever. Uh, It's not just that. It's everybody in Michigan. Uh, Trump leads Biden by five, Warren by nine, Sanders by six, and Buttigieg and Bloomberg by 11 each. Uh, In Pennsylvania, it's Trump by five over Biden, seven over Warren, 10 over Sanders, six over Mayor Pete, and four over Bloomberg. And then in Wisconsin, again, nine over Biden, 13 over Warren, 13 over Sanders, 11 over Buttigieg, and 12 over Bloomberg. So, Jim, if these numbers are even close to uh, chronicling what's happened here since the impeachment process really got ramped up in the last couple of months, this is a massive backfire politically. It is. And, you know, I'm sure Democrats don't like being reminded that uh, not all states are created equal, so so to speak. Um, but it doesn't really do them a lot of good. Because you look at the polling numbers overall. Uh, every, every couple of days I check the uh, aggregation of all the results over on 538.com. And they do a pretty good job. And they look at the numbers, and it been, generally it's been somewhere around 47% uh, want to see the president removed from office, which, you know, no illusions, that's bad. And the people who say, no, I do not want to see that happen, are in the 44%. Now, on the one hand, you, if you're the White House, you'd much rather have the, no, I don't want to see him removed higher, than the percentage that's half them saying, yes, I do want to see him removed. On the other hand, 47% is not a majority. And it comes out to being in most polls relatively close. So it kind of comes down to like, all right, do you want to remove the president with the country split 47-44? And oh, by the way, Greg, does it seem weird that that means about pretty consistently 9 to 10% don't have an opinion on removing the president from office? It seems weird, but some people uh, have lives and uh, other people just don't <laughs> care about politics. So I guess yeah. that's I mean, what's happening there. My suspicion there is that a lot, everyone knows that you're not going to get 67 votes in the Senate. So they kind of tuned this out and they, they haven't really paid much attention to it. If we if the Democrats were like two votes away, right, and in, you know, Romney and Murkowski flipping would mean that Trump would leave office. 
I think we'd all be tuned into this, you know, with, with extraordinary attention and passion. And people would be following every little twist and turn and people would be really be emotionally invested in this. Everybody knows this is an entirely symbolic process, right? This is now a really, this is super censure, right? And most people are kind of tuned out about it. So what it tells us is that, you know, nearly half the country really can't stand Trump. Nearly half the country supports him. And what really matters for Democrats is it doesn't mean much if you get a you know really high level of support for impeachment in New York and California. Um, impeachment you know requires 67 votes. They're not going to come anywhere near that. And your your consolation prize would be well maybe this is going to hurt the president in these swing states and make it the likelihood of getting him getting reelected uh, a little bit less likely. Well, it doesn't look like it's doing that either. So in the end, people are going to ask a really good question. What did Democrats accomplish with this? I mean, I suppose you could make the argument what Trump did was so terrible. And just as Republicans saw this about Bill Clinton's impeachment, it didn't matter. They weren't going to get 67 votes. It was the principle of the thing. We're sending a clear signal of what we stand for. This is unacceptable and shame on you, Mr. President. And that's fine. They're free to do that. But it may actually be hurting them a bit uh, on the margins where they need to win in 2020. Two quick notes of caution here for the president and uh, his supporters. While he did get to 50 percent against Warren and Sanders in Wisconsin and every other one of these matchups uh, in these three states, he's below 50 percent and generally tends to peak out around 47, 48 percent. And uh, that's the thing with Trump. He's not going to go much lower than that. and He's probably not going to go much higher than that. So it's going to be a tight race in these states and perhaps elsewhere. And also, while the uh, issue of impeachment seems to be working against uh, Democrats right now, probably among independents, uh, are moving more than anything here. Uh, just remember that as, as fired up as uh, everyone on the right was during the Kavanaugh hearings, uh, and it did play a role in some races, a month later, uh, other issues had popped back up, health care and, and some other things. And so uh, once this is all over in a month or two, there's still going to be about nine months before we actually get to Election Day. So a lot can happen between now and then. But for right now, impeachment is actually helping President Trump. Yeah, let me just throw one last thought. You notice the numbers were significantly worse in Wisconsin. Greg, do you think it's a little bit of like the Scott Walker recall hangover? It could be. Right, like this this sense that, you know, people in that state feel like, oh, we've been through this before. We've seen a Republican gets elected. He makes some big changes that Democrats think are just the worst thing in the world. They have a mechanism on the books to try to remove him from office early. And they do it, and it doesn't, you know, uh, enough people like, whoa, 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 come on. We have elections. If we don't like this guy, we won't reelect him. That's the right process here. You know, it's it's strange, but I, I it's strange to see that jump in that poll. But, you know, you look at the numbers in the Marquette survey and other places, it doesn't look all that out of line. The Siena poll that New York Times was looking at. You know, Democrats sometimes just, just, just focus on elections. You'll probably be a lot better off that way. By the way, every Democrat, Biden, Warren, Sanders, Buttigieg, and Bloomberg, under 40%, which is not the case uh, in the other states. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, Folks in Wisconsin may have seen this movie before. So in, in the meantime, if you're trying to get uh, your mind off of uh, what's happening in Washington, uh, it's time to buy Christmas gifts. Hopefully you've got most of those uh, lined up uh, for immediate family, extended family. Uh, your kids' teachers always appreciate a little something. And don't forget those who keep you in one piece medically, uh, your doctors, uh, the nurses, uh, folks you might go to uh, get blood drawn from time to time, anyone you interact with in the medical community. So while you're doing your shopping, don't forget about all these people. We all know someone helped by one of these amazing people, a friend, a family member, even ourselves. And that's where we get to figs. And for all the medical professionals and non-medical professionals in your life, 
Get a gift of figs for those who give the most to you every single day. Figs is an amazing company that is making scrubs stylish and functional for the people who deserve it most. For years, nurses, doctors, dentists, and all those other awesome medical professionals were forced to wear itchy and, and scratchy, I don't mean the Simpsons, that they itched them and they had to scratch <laughs> and use ill-fitting scrubs. Not only were they ugly and uncomfortable, but they weren't designed with innovative technical properties to protect and hold those life-saving tools they need to have within reach. Also keep in mind that Figs gives back, and you can too. Every time you shop at Figs, they give scrubs to healthcare providers in need around the world through their Threads for Threads initiative. To date, Figs has donated hundreds of thousands of sets in more than 35 countries. And I've had the chance to wear some of the, the Figs gear. Uh, very comfortable socks, as well as an active wear jacket. Uh, I love it. You can put a lot of things in the pockets, which is exactly what doctors need. Uh, and it keeps me uh, very warm at a wide variety of temperatures. I'd say anywhere from the low 40s to about 60 degrees. It's uh, perfect. It's very lightweight. Uh, and it's perfect for walking around in drafty hospitals and other places that medical professionals need to go as well. But a lot of the stuff on here, you know, most of us don't wear scrubs on a daily basis, wouldn't need to. But there are some things on there that you might find uh, attractive for yourself or someone who's not a doctor. But if you've got a favorite doctor, and I'm guessing you do, or a dentist or some other medical professional, head over to wearfigs.com. Put in the promo code Martini at checkout and surprise them. You'll make their day this holiday season. So show how much you care. Figs is going to make it easier by providing you with 15% off your first purchase by using the code Martini. Get ready to love your scrubs or the people getting the scrubs. Head to wearfigs.com, W-E-A-R-F-I-G-S.com, and enter our code Martini at checkout. We've got two articles of impeachment facing President Trump, which we'll talk about a little bit later. But for now, we've got another report to talk about, and that's the one that came out on Monday from Michael Horowitz. He is the inspector general over at DOJ, FBI. We've been waiting for this for a very long time. I remember in the spring we were told it was coming soon. Now, December 9th, we finally get it. Uh, Democrats are crowing because there's no uh, suggestion in here that anyone ought to be referred for criminal prosecution. And Horowitz does not conclude that there was a political bias behind uh, the ongoing efforts to secure a FISA warrant to surveil Carter Page. Uh, you got Jim Comey, the former FBI director, saying, It was all lies. No treason. No spying on the campaign. No tapping Trump's wires. It was just good people trying to protect America. That's not what Horowitz said here, though. Pete Williams over at NBC breaking down the report from the IG. Uh, here's where he started. What it says is the FBI basically repeatedly screwed up at every level, failing to pay enough attention to potential problems with steel, failing to tell the Justice Department. And it says at one point that the FBI decided to seek this FISA warrant, even at the risk of being criticized for doing it later, because the report says FBI officials they ha said they had to get to the bottom of a potentially serious threat to national security. But the Inspector General report says the FISA application was, in many ways, inaccurate, incomplete, or unsupported. And so how did all this happen? As for why these things happen, the Inspector General says it reaches no conclusions about that. It says it received no satisfactory explanation about how all these mistakes happen. But the IG is not done here yet either. The Inspector General is so concerned about these problems that if the FBI, in his view, so mishandled this FISA application for an investigation into a candidate for president, then 
How is it doing it for garden variety people who are subject to these warrants? And for that reason, we learned today that the inspector general is now opening a new investigation on how the FBI gets these FISA warrants on American citizens. Jim, I'm not sure how I feel about being called a garden variety American, but uh, basically the argument here is we weren't politically motivated. We're just really, really bad at what we do. Yeah, and let's also keep in mind all of our mistakes just happen to go in one direction. <laughs> right. yeah. um, if this is an exoneration, I'd hate to see what the indictment looked like, although I guess the indictment would be in actual criminal charges. Um, wrote about this in today's jolt. It's worth noting that uh, John Durham, the uh, U.S. attorney who is uh, looking into the start of this for uh, under the direction of uh, a bar, uh, said, you know, kind of issued a who almost ne he never does interviews. He, he doesn't write op eds. He's very tight lipped, made a rare, short written statement that basically said, hey, guys, I'm going to I'm going to reach my own conclusions. <laughs> I respect everything that was said. Uh, and I respect everything that the inspector general did, but in the end, I'm going to, uh, draw my own conclusions. And, you know, I, I, this, you know, the fact that people have not been indicted in this one does not mean that I will not potentially indict them. I believe there's a lot of people looking at this and saying, aha, you know, this is, uh, this means that Durham is going to indict them. I don't think you can fairly, uh, say that. I think you can merely say that that is uh, a possibility that that is within the realm that, uh, Durham is going to draw his own conclusions and if he thinks somebody broke the law in this process, he will do so. The other thing that you, you know, people may remember me writing this uh, profile of Durham and, and talking to a lot of people who've been up against him and worked with him and, and who've come to the conclusion, Durham doesn't take stupid risks. Durham doesn't take a lot of risks as is. Uh, he does not bring indictments that he doesn't think he's going to be able to convince a jury. And if he doesn't think he's going to be able to sustain that conviction on appeal. Um, so that's, that's kind of been my, you know, guide for this whole thing is that, look, if Durham comes out and says something, you know, criminal happened here, there's a really good chance he's going to end up getting a, an indictment there. Whether or not you come to the conclusion, ah, this means no crime was occurred, was committed here. You can say that it's very likely that he didn't see enough that he was going to convince a jury or that if he did get a conviction that at some point on appeal, he was going to lose. But either way, that's kind of significant. But again, the whole rest of this thing, I, I'd urge people, look, it's a long report. It's more than 500 pages. But don't just go with the headline on this. Don't just go with the Comey op-ed on this. Um, this is not a process the American people should feel confident in. If you're finding 17, by the way, it's worth noting, uh, you know, Adam Schiff way back when, the minority of the uh, beginning of 2018, uh, the minority of the Intelligence Committee issued this report saying, look, we've looked at this and we've concluded nothing was wrong. There were no material omissions. Here comes the Horowitz report and it says, actually, we found 17 significant material omissions on this spice of stuff. Look, you're going to draw your own conclusions, but my sense is there are a bunch of people in both, probably both the intelligence community and in the law enforcement community who looked at Trump and said, oh, of course, this guy's guilty. Let's get let's let's get our vices. Let's start recording. And of course, we're going to find this. And then much to the surprise, they didn't find evidence of collusion and all that kind of stuff. They never went back to the FISA judges and say, hey, remember that thing we told you? Yeah, we can't verify it. We don't know if this is true or not. Um, it should not reassure you. It is not, as Trump was saying, this grand partisan conspiracy against him. But nonetheless, it is not a reassuring one. And uh, I, I, for one, am actually kind of glad that uh, uh, we still have uh, Durham on the case. We'll see what happens. It may or may not come out and end up with indictments. But uh, everybody involved in this should not necessarily be uh, convinced they're, they're completely out of the woods here. Jim, I can't help but go back to what you said at the very beginning of that response. And it's just amazing how all of these oversights, mistakes, and just stupid errors 
all just happened to drift in the same direction, and that was against the presumptive, or in many cases, the existing nominee of the Republican Party, uh, Donald Trump. So some might say that's a coincidence. Some might say it's politically nefarious. But if it's not politically nefarious, it's darn close to a miracle. You ask for a miracle, Jim, I give you the (laughs) FBI. You give me the FBI. Die Hard. If you haven't seen it, you got to watch it. Jim, let's move on to our final martini, our crazy martini. Uh, The impeachment articles are part of it. Uh, No bribery article, interestingly enough, since that was the the catchphrase for weeks there when the Schiff hearings were going on. Nancy Pelosi was spouting and everybody, in the end, no article of impeachment for bribery, probably because they couldn't get enough people to vote for it in their their, uh, vote inside the caucus. But anyway, two articles. One is for abuse of power and one is for obstruction of Congress, which a lot of legal scholars, particularly on the right, think is exceptionally weak because President Trump just took him to court to not hand it over. They could fight it in court. Uh, But anyway, that's neither here nor there. But this morning, Nancy Pelosi comes out with Nadler and a few other chairmen, chairwomen, that sort of thing, uh, talking about impeachment. And a couple hours later, we find out that they're right back out there. Hey, we've come to an agreement with the president on USMCA trade to replace NAFTA. Oh, and we're going to do paid family leave as part of the defense authorization. Oh, and we're creating the Space Force as a separate entity of the U.S. Armed Forces. So, Jim, I don't know if this is them trying to distract people from the fact that they're still doing impeachment, an all-at-once argument that, hey, we're still getting stuff done despite impeachment. What do you make of the avalanche of announcements today? It's weird. And the first thing I want to point out, because I wrote a corner post saying that this doesn't feel like a, a defeat for Trump. And everyone's saying, there you go, you, you MAGA head, you know, cap-wearing, you know, deplorable Trump. Tr-. Yeah, that's Let's put out any day the House of Representatives introduces articles of impeachment against you. You're not having that good a day. Right? Let's, let's, uh, let's grant that. But that having been said, one of the oddities of this process is that we've had um, – I think if you asked Adam Schiff before this process began, if you asked Jerry Nadler before this process began, and if you asked Nancy Pelosi before the hearings began, what would you like to see? I think the hearings kind of went the way they wanted them to, right? The witnesses, you know, there's some secondhand stuff, but by and large, the witnesses painted a very ugly picture of the administration. The Republicans could not call their own witnesses. They couldn't go down rabbit holes trying to bring up the Biden stuff, Um the, the networks gave them the full television coverage that they wanted. Uh, by and large, this went the way they wanted to. And as we discussed earlier in this podcast, didn't move the numbers either nationally or in, in a whole bunch of swing states. So it's really kind of unusual that they did everything um, in their minds. They did everything they were supposed to do. And the American public, I think you can argue, other than the people who are already tuned into this stuff, kind of tuned them out. So you've got that. They're going to have the House vote at some point soon. My guess is that uh, uh, the vote is right around what it was before. Only two House Democrats voted against it. Um, By the way, it's worth noting that there are two, because of the death of Elijah Cummings and the resignation of Katie Hill, there are two fewer House Democrats uh, than there were when they had that original vote to uh, initiate the, the inquiry. And also the idea of, you know, look, this is a president who has violated the law, who has abused his powers and must be removed from office. Also, we reached a deal with him on family leave and the trade deal. <laughs> it's a very weird to have all of this coming out at the same day. I think the fact that you're able to, you know, hey, look, this president is the devil, but we can also do business with him is kind of a uh, odd set of circumstances. And I think this has been 
Look, you know, maybe if the Mueller investigation had not occurred, maybe if Rashid Tlaib had not said, let's impeach the MFR uh, right upon, you know, the, the eve of getting sworn into office. It was weird. It, it is very weird to see Democrats at this crossroads and going forward with a process that has not worked out for them. Um, they've not persuaded the public the way they wanted to. And they all kind of know this is going nowhere, but they're going forward with it any, every, anyway. Um, and oh, by the way, we also got some major legislative work, uh, agreements worked out with the same guy who we're insisting must go. It's it's bizarre, Greg. It's it's a it's a well suited crazy martini. What do we, as conservatives, actually think of these things? I, I haven't seen a lot of the details yet, but you and I have talked before when Trump has brought up paid family leave during the State of the Union that it's adding another entitlement. We're already twenty three trillion dollars in debt. We got trillion dollar annual deficits now. Uh, is this really what we should be doing? It seems like more big government, even if the intention is good to help families. Yeah, I mean, so I'm of the mindset because I went to a event the National Review Institute had sponsored a couple of weeks ago, featured Ivanka Trump. And I've gradually come around to the fact that I, on the one hand, I don't like government uh, telling businesses what they have to do. But I think any clear thinking human being would want a woman who has just given birth to be given as much time off from work as possible to take care of that child. Because you don't want women who've just given birth right back on the assembly line <laughs> or even uh, at the secretarial desk or working in the kit in the restaurant kitchen or, or any of the other many, you know, corporate executives. You want new mothers to take as much time as they need. And it would probably be a good idea for society if fathers got some time uh, to take leave with their newborn children. And the U.S. does not have any, you know, national policy on this. And maybe it makes sense to have this. Maybe you know, when they say, oh, 97 percent of companies offer this sort of, uh, of paid leave, that's good. The question there is, what about that other small percent? Uh, and, you know, do, are we OK with those folks? I, I'm, I'm actually not having a problem. But the deal that was reached today is only for federal employees. And it always did strike me as a little bit strange. We have federal employees who get every kind of benefit you can imagine, but they don't get paid leave for when they have children. My friends who are federal workers, that always seems a little bit odd. And they have to use their sick leave and, and things like that. So um, I, I don't know about you, Greg, but I don't I don't consider giving birth to be considered a sickness. You should not have to use sick uh, leave for that. And uh, if the federal government as an employer needs to address that, that's certainly one thing. But in general, I would definitely like to see the, the private sector come up with their own competitive policies to make their places of employment more attractive to work and to help people decide that that's where they want to work because of that and other prerogatives, not because the government makes private companies do that. Yeah, let's kind of put it this way. If there's an area in which this administration is going to make a concession on, considering how we sold out the Kurds and stuff, this is, this is a concession <laughs> I can live with. There's really not much mass death associated with this policy concession, so so I can live with it, Greg. Jim, that's all the time we have for today. Who knows what kind of martinis will be in store for us tomorrow. Talk to you then. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Columbus, Radio America. So glad you could be with us today on the Three Martini Lunch. Please don't forget about our sponsor, Figs, wherefigs.com. 15% off on your first purchase at checkout by using our code Martini, your favorite doctor, nurse, or otherwise will love the gift this Christmas time. Don't forget about uh, subscribing to the podcast also, leaving us a great review if you don't mind. We always love to see those. And don't forget to tune in tomorrow for the Wednesday edition of the Three Martini Lunch.